It was the final Little League game of the Little League Championships. This was big time for a 12-year-old. I was playing catcher, and they had a man on first. I remember crouching behind the plate, watching the runner on first out of the corner of my eye as he began to edge off the bag. There was a lot of crowd noise. Lots of voices, voices yelling at the pitcher, encouraging the pitcher. Voices harassing the batter and encouraging the batter. Voices yelling at the base runner. But I was listening for one voice, one voice. It was the voice I had learned to recognize all season long. A voice of direction, the voice of encouragement, the, the voice of warning. That was the voice of my coach. As our pitcher completed his stretch and made his move towards the plate, I heard it. Two simple words. He's going. I saw the runner sprinting for second base, and as I jumped up at the exact moment, the pitch hit my mitt, and I threw. We hear a lot of voices today. Do you want success? Here's how it's reached. Do you want achievement? Here's your prototype. Do you want meaning in life? Here's the method. For men, it's, it's money, it's possessions, and power and influence. A good job, you have to have killer abs, and you have sharp clothes, beautiful women, and of course, the right car. Many voices that say, listen, listen. For women, it's pamper your hair, Firm your face, get those abs, get the right clothes, get the right cosmetics, get the education. Climb the ladder in your career. You have a family if you want and you can have it all. Many voices that say, listen. Students say to you, try drugs, party hard, live fast. You're only young once, you're indestructible. You're immortal, you'll live forever, go for it. Many voices say, listen. All around us, voices that tantalize and tempt and entice. Voices, some for pleasure, some for power, some for success, some for acceptance. But all the voices we hear promise something. How do we respond to all that noise? All the voices. And then there's God who speaks to us, the voice of God, the word of God. How do we respond to those voices and how do we respond to the voice of God? What do we hear? What we hear depends on the condition of our heart. Not the condition of our ears, but the condition of our heart. We have many different voices, many different listeners, and in the middle of all the voices, there are four types of hearts, there are four types of reactions, and four totally different results. Today, say what? It's the parable of the sower. Or we could call it the parable of the soil. We're looking at a series, in other words, on the parables. And today I would like you to turn with me to Luke, the 8th chapter. Luke 8, it's on page 839 of the Bible in the rack in front of you. Or if you want to look at it on your iPad or tablet device or on your iPhone. Luke 8, starting with verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. 
A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on a rock when it came up, but the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing you they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by perseverance produce a crop. This has been called the parable of the sower. I think more accurately it could be called the parable of the soils. Soils, Four distinct soils, four distinct hearts. Now Jesus is, is teaching a crowd. There are people that come from, came from all over the then known region at that point. He had many different listeners. They had varied backgrounds. They had many different ideas, different preconceptions, different conditions. They were all at different places in their life, going through diff- different circumstances. Be a lot like us today. Everyone is at a different listening level. The par- a parable is a story with one primary meaning, and the meaning is not obvious. It demanded thoughtful thinking, receptive, and searching hearts. Verse 10 reveals that the truths were revealed only to those who were really serious about discovering the truth. And only God, it says, could actually reveal the truth to people. This kind of separated the curiosity seekers, or they just kind of there wondering what was going on, from the earnest seekers, those that really desired truth. So who's in this story? Well, the sower is Jesus, and the seed is the word of God. Now, when we talk about the word of God, it has three different aspects. It's the living word, which is the person of Jesus. He was God that came in the flesh, the incarnation. It was the word preached by Jesus, and it was a word proclaimed by Jesus' followers. And the soil, what is the soil? The soil, that's, that's us. We're the soil. Four types of soil and four types of hearts they represent. It's the same seed, the same sower, but the results of this effort all depends on the condition of the soil, our hearts. Lloyd Ogilvy, in Autobiography of God, lists four types of hearts. And I want to look at those hearts today. The first one is the hard heart. The hard heart. This was the soil along the path. Now, All soil, all dirt is of the same essence. But something happened to make this soil hard. It was hard packed on a path. How many of you go hiking and do some dirt paths? Okay, like hiking, it's it's going for a walk and it's usually among scenery. And most often it's on a a path of some sort, a dirt path. And, And paths are hard, they're free of plants, they're easy to walk on because they've been pressed down by the soles of many, many people. And the dirt on a packed path is impenetrable. There's no productive contact with seed. 
It resists implantation. It just sits on the surface, and birds will come and eat the seeds if you sow seeds on a path. The results in verse 12 says, the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Many basically hear the word of God, will not believe and not be saved because of the condition of their heart. Hard-hearted hearers can't hear the word of God, the voice of God. There's lots of seed, but no contact. The question, how, how does a heart get hard like that? How does a heart get hard like that? Well, there are a lot of things that cause a heart to get hard. One of them is, one of them is rough times. Rough times, letter A. People experience disappointments and failures or abuse or treated unfairly. Just the stuff of life. Life is tough. There are a lot of things that come into our lives and for some people, their hearts become hardened by the stuff of life. The, the response is cynicism and it hardens the heart. There's also rebellion, letter B. This rebellion would be willful sin. This is sinning when you know it's wrong. You know something's wrong and you just do it anyway and you do it again and again and again. And pretty soon, it becomes so routine that it, be, it hardens our heart. And we can harden our own hearts by sinning against those kinds of things. Sin, it's a will. It, it, it sears the conscience. It hardens our heart. And then there's something called routine. Routine, let us see. This is the biggest danger for church people or Christians or believers. Whether it's church life, devotional life, or lifestyle, or a personal walk with Jesus, whatever that is, is, entails, it becomes routine, it becomes rote, it becomes habit. We put God in our nice, neat little box. We identify with the Americanized Jesus instead of the biblical Jesus. Arnold Toynbee says familiarity is the opiate of the imagination. See, we, we develop familiar patterns of lifestyle. We no longer can identify the reasons behind our behavior. We only know that we've always done it this way and we're comfortable. Okay? So it's always been this way and this is the way it's always been. So it becomes habit. It's our traditions. It's our habits. Our lifestyle and priorities become more important than the relationship with Jesus himself. In and of themselves, these actions can be good, but they can harden our hearts to the point that we no longer hear the voice of God. We just do it out of rote. We just do it because we've always done it. How is your Christian life? Has it become dull and bland? Is it, are you inspired by worship? Are you inspired by fellowship, getting together with other believers? Someone once said, I hate to hear familiar truths and ideas that I have refused to apply. I hate to hear familiar truths and ideas I've refused to apply. We hear them so long and, and we finally say, you know, I, I'm not going to do anything about that, but then we start hating to hear it because we haven't done it. Our hearing needs restoration. That's a hard heart. And a, there's no contact and no results when we have a hard heart. That's a condition number one. The second heart Jesus talks about is the shallow heart. The shallow heart. This describes bedrock covered by a thin layer 
of soil. Now there, there are several people that, that I know of in this congregation that own land that they lease the land out to farmers to farm it. I don't know how many people actually farm here in this congregation, but, but you know that if you're leasing land to someone or you're farming land, you're not gonna get a lot of rent from land that doesn't have much, much topsoil. If it's, if it's kind of rocky and it has very shallow soil, you're not gonna get a lot of rent for that. But what will grow in that soil really well, as you know, are weeds, weeds. I mean, you look at sidewalks and you look at asphalt playgrounds and parking lots, even, even highways, weeds grow in that environment. They will grow, but there's nothing productive because there's no, there's no soil really underneath that. Verse 13 says, these are those that hear the word, receive it with joy. They have no firm root. They believe for a while and they fall away in time of testing. These are those who receive the word with emotion and excitement. There's this superficial enthusiasm when they embrace the faith. But they don't allow the seed to penetrate deep into their lives. Now there may be three aspects that can represent this thin layer of soil. The emotions, the intellect, and the will. Let's start with the emotions. These are people who receive the word of God emotionally. In other words, they may have had a great emotional experience, an encounter with Jesus that was very real and very sincere, but it never moves beyond the first emotional experience. It's like the couple who get married and all they can talk about is their first date, the first time they met. All they can talk about is first love and, and they never talk about or experience a deepening relationship past the surface. Four-year-old Susie I had just been told the story of Snow White for the first time in preschool. She could hardly wait to get home to, to relay and tell, retell the story to her mom when she got home. So she got home that afternoon and after relating how Prince Charming had arrived on his beautiful white horse and kissed Snow White back to life, Susie asked loudly, and do you know what happened then? And her mother said, yeah, they lived happily forever after. And Susie frowned and said, no, they got married. In childlike innocence, Susie had described a reality, a real deep truth without understanding that, that getting married and living happily ever after are not necessarily synonymous. And some people, they think that they just get married and live happily forever, and, and that's the way their faith is. They get married, they join the team of Jesus, they receive Jesus, and this great emotional experience happens, and, and that's the end, end of story. It's just like TVs and the movies all portray boy meets girl, there's romance, first love, and there's the wedding. End of story. How many Hallmark movies end on a wedding? How many, how many of you watch Hallmark movies? Guys, you can admit it. I, my hand's up. I watch, I watch Hallmark movies. <laughs> I have to if I'm going to see my wife. You know, we watch Hallmark movies. It, all, it, it always ends on a wedding, almost always. It's just this, this it's like, and, and our whole culture and society, it's all based on first love. It's all emotion, first love, wow, we live happily ever. It's all based on the fairy tale. And, and you very rarely see a movie or a television program or, or read a book that, that actually talks about the struggle of the in-depth, deepening love of ongoing relationship. The deep, enduring love of relationship that lasts and lasts. For some people, their relationship with Jesus is just like that Hallmark movie. It ends in 
we all seem to live happily ever after. There's an emotional response, but what's, what's next? Temptation comes, a season of testing, and they fall away. Now, we need to be free to express our emotions in our faith. I hope we do. I grew up in a more conservative Norwegian-type denomination where you, when you came in, you left your emotions in the lobby, and you came in and you had to be very proper, and you couldn't express any emotions. That's, and I hope we have more than that here. You know, I know we have Norwegians and Germans and some other people. And Norwegians, I'm Norwegian. We don't express emotions very easily, but we need to be able to express our emotions. But that can't be all it is. It has to be more. The second aspect of a shallow heart is, has to do with those who receive the word of God Intellectually, intellectually. For these, their faith just penetrates their intellect. They never allow Jesus to deal with their feelings, their emotions, or their will. Their whole faith is a set of beliefs or dogmas or doctrines. And if you ask them, they can articulate every reason why they believe the way they do. The problem is that those beliefs don't penetrate the heart, and they don't make any real life-changing difference. All this information but no difference. This is, the, this is the real danger of the informational model of discipleship. We think that if we just teach people enough, they will transform and be transformed. Now, we require the word and we need teaching, but if it's only teaching and we just teach the intellect, people will not be discipled alone on just information. Beliefs may have changed, but they're the same person. The word belief in Hebrew, in Hebrew thought, does not separate intellectual belief and action. When you say you believe, the, this intellectual belief and this action belief are one and the same. So when, when they said you believed in Jesus, it wasn't that I give intellectual assent to the fact that he lived on earth and he died and he was resurrected and blah, 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 and all these things, all these facts about Jesus. That's, that's belief about Jesus. Belief in Jesus means to actually take action on that belief and place your trust in him. So when we say, I believe, that means more than just intellectual assent. And many people in churches, well-meaning Christians, have only an intellectual assent to the facts of Christianity. And they've never engaged the person by belief and trust in him. Amen. Belief in him is more than just the intellect The third aspect of a shallow heart are those who receive the word of God in the will. Now, we should receive the word of God in the will. But, and we can be intellectually sound and we can be emotionally free, but some accept the word of God only in the realm of the will. And let me explain that. How many of you like to know the rules? Okay, yeah, I, li I like to know the rules. That one of the hardest things, I, I mean, when I, when I drive, I want to know what the speed limit is. And when we were, oh, you don't think I'm paying attention to the speed limit? She just laughed at me when I said that. <laughs> She's seen me drive. I don't know, maybe. Um, I, no, I like to know what the speed limit is. And one of the things we did, uh, we, we took a trip, a, a hip-hop dance team and music team to Slovakia to do ministry on, on the street and in the, in the squares and different places. And, and so we're driving, we came into Slovakia, and of course, what they do is they post this, and I don't even remember, it, Slovak is, a, I guess, the language. They, they post all the speed limits. It'd be like you going in and into a country, or you go into a city, and they say, residential streets, this, you know, 
throughways or this. And so they had all these things listed. Of course, I couldn't read. I, I saw numbers. Uh, and I saw numbers to the right, and it's, and, and, but, I, but I couldn't read what that meant, okay? So we're driving and wondering if we're going to get picked up or arrested or something in this, in this foreign country. And, and what they would do is you come into a town, and, and what they would do is they would say, they, they wouldn't tell you how fast to go into town because it had already been posted at the border. The only thing they would do is when you got to the and a town, so you're going back out onto the open road, they would put whatever was in the town speed limit, like say it was 30 kilometers a mile, they'd cross it out. So that meant you didn't have to go 30 kilometers anymore. Well, that's great. It doesn't help me. What am I supposed to go once I get out there? It didn't tell me. I didn't know the rules. Okay? We like to know the rules because we don't want to get in trouble. Well, some, for some people, Christianity is I just want to know the rules. It's just legalism. It's just my will. And some accept the word of God only in the realm of the, of the will. It's, these are the rules. I know the rules. And we end up with this life of legalism, but have no relationship. There has to be a balance between emotion, intellect, and will. All of them are important. The shallow heart. Many believe for a while, then they fall away. No lasting life or transformation because they've never embraced Totally. The third heart is a crowded heart. The crowded heart. Verse 14 says, The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. This is a heart cr- full of crowded, crowded with competitive loyalties. Competitive loyalties. The many voices that I, I spoke about earlier, clamoring for attention. See, we're, we're really busy. We're busy people. Americans are really, did you know that Americans are the, the only culture in the world that doesn't take their full vacation every year? Now, maybe you do that, but many Americans just too busy. They don't take their full, I, you know, I've never understood that, but that's, that's what many of them are. Jobs demand more time. Children demand more time than ever. Music lessons, swim lessons, gymnastics, soccer, baseball, drama, dance. School activities with friends, late nights, early mornings. Crowded lives and we have crowded hearts. We just, we just crowd, our, we fill up our lives with activity. Now there's nothing wrong with being busy and productive. Unless those activities are weeds that crowd out the word of God. Now Jesus names three weeds. Now these are just illustrative. There, there could be a lot more than just these three weeds. And the first one is Worry. Worry. Um, worry is a sign of trying to accomplish our agenda in our own strength. In other words, it's all up to me. What do you worry about? Do you have a worry time like I do? About four in the morning, I wake up and you're kind of halfway between sleep and awake, and it's like all this stuff looks awfully big, and all of a sudden, anybody else have a worry time? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. It's just, you know, and maybe, maybe it's not what you worry about. It's probably easier to listen to what you don't worry about. I mean, that may be easier because there are fewer, fewer things. Worry can be all-consuming, and worry can be a full-time job, and it is for a lot of parents. You know, you get to be a parent. When your children are small, you're afraid they're going to be kidnapped or have an allergic reaction to vaccines or they're going to fall and get hurt. Children get older and uh, they have friends and activities and success at school. What college are you going to go to? And what happens when they start driving? I mean, that's a nightmare, you know. (laughs) I can't control that anymore. You know, it's just kind of like, 
And uh, yeah. Or if it's your spouse, you're worried about health or finances, the future. You know, we can, we can make lists and lists and lists of things we worry about. And when we worry, we begin to crowd out the faith and what God wants to teach us in our life. Maybe you worry about world events. Um, we have a lot of things going on in this country right now. And you, you know, those of you that watch the news, and, and let me just say something. We ought to be informed and make intelligent decisions on our civic engagement, whether that's being involved in the local school board or the PTA, uh, local politics, uh, state government, national government. You ought to know the issues and people and make intelligent choices about what's going on, okay? Even though it doesn't make sense right now, but that's okay. Make intelligent, we need to be engaged in it, but don't, don't get hung up on watching the news every single hour of every single day, okay? Give news a break, okay? I, I, I'm amazed that when we go on vacation, we tune out the news. We don't watch the news, and it's just amazing how much, how much better life looks when you don't know anything that's going on. Now, and we're not supposed to be that protected, but we need to know what's going on. Bad news all the time on the news. Just, just give it a break sometimes and realize that the only reason it's news is because it's bad, okay? There's a lot of good stuff going on. There's a lot of good stuff going on. It just doesn't make the news. But, but don't get, because if, if you, see, you start seeing the world through this prism of bad news, it's happening. And it might be happening half a world away. It doesn't affect anything, but since it's bad news, it affects you here in Eau Claire today. It used to be that didn't happen. I mean, this, this all happened, a little history, in the 1800s with, uh, when the wireless or the... Um, telegraph came into being, all of a sudden something could happen across the country and you'd hear about it over here. Before that, it happened a world away, you didn't even know about it and it didn't affect you. Now you know about it, suddenly it still didn't affect you, but you know about it. And so there, there's just this whole aura of information sharing, instant news that we have, all this instantaneous information and it worry, it feeds worry and we can worry about everything. World events, politics, you name it. Give it a break. Give it a break. Worry can actually choke out the word of God. There's a, psalm, a verse in Psalm 112, 7 to 8. It says, he will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. I read that once in a while. You know, I, I, I read that once in a while when I'm thinking about my kids. My kids are 30 and 33. And, and you still, it doesn't matter, you still worry about kids. Okay, just so you know. Okay, the second weed, second weed is riches. Riches. This can be money, it can be possessions. What gives you security? What gives you security? What gives you pleasure? Material things are not bad in and of themselves, but they do, but do they crowd out the word of God? That's the question. Do my possessions or riches or my, any preoccupation crowd out the word of God? Do they keep me from hearing the most important things that we never seem to learn? Now, as a, as a child, you know, we, we get a no, new toy and we're happy for, oh, five minutes, you know? About five minutes, we're, and then, you know, it's kind of like Christmas, you get open 38 gifts and you're done and you look around and you go, is that all? You know, just, you know, we're always looking, now, it, when we get older, we just handle it in a more sophisticated way. As an adult. Now, getting a new car brings great happiness for a while. It's like, man, I like driving, the, I like the new car smell, you know, just whatever it is. Whatever the possession is, we find great joy in it for a while. 
but it can't last. I have a friend who purchased a brand new 25-foot cabin cruiser. This great boat, just an incredible boat, and, you know, loved that. And in his words, the two happiest days of my life were the day I bought the boat and the day I sold the boat. Those of you who have had a boat, you know, understand exactly what he's talking about. He also said about purchasing a Harley-Davidson motorcycle, he said, I don't know why I bought it. I just wanted to have it, okay? There's something about possessions we have, and, and it's okay to have a Harley-Davidson. It's okay. <laughs> Vern's going, what's wrong with the Harley? Nothing wrong with the Harley-Davidson. But when there's a preoccupation and possessions become a weed that, that, that chokes out the word of God, that's when we have to be concerned. Now, the third, third weed is pleasure. Of course, the question is, what's wrong with pleasure? Nothing. If they are an expression of our faith and not a substitute. One thing, somebody shared with me a long time ago, because we have, we have this thing about, about pleasure and entertainment and all these questions, is that how do I know what's, what's a weed and what's not? How do I know what's good and what's healthy? Just ask the question about your pleasure or your entertainment. This question, can I clearly communicate with God while enjoying this pleasure? Can I clearly communicate with God while enjoying this pleasure? Is this something I can fully engage with God and fully share with God? What dominates your life and are they weeds? That's a question. Do I have weeds in my life? A farmer friend of mine in Minnesota talks about his process in farming and he talks about the fact that, that he has to spray weed killer at exactly the right time when the weeds are really small so they don't crowd out the crop. And he says weeds are reality. They always grow. But how do we control it? In our life, weeds are reality. They're going to try to poke up. Can we control them? How do we control the weeds? Worry, riches, and pleasure. Those are weeds. And those with a crowded heart allow the good seed of the word of God to take root, but also they let the competing loyalties of the weeds and thorns. Loyalty to Jesus is just one of many powerful loyalties. The crowded heart, so many things in our lives that compete, so there's no room for spiritual food, spiritual fruit. Now, how many of you know we don't have to cultivate fertilizer, water, weeds? Very true. They grow under the most adverse of all conditions. If I don't water my lawn, what happens? Weeds, weeds grow. Yeah, it dies, and it'll be replaced by something. I mean, weeds are going to grow. We don't have to cultivate worries and riches or pleasure. They grow naturally. That's part of our culture. That's part of who we are. And in a drought, the way to keep plants healthy when in water shortage is to pull the weeds out because weeds compete with your plants for water and nutrients. Get rid of the weeds. In our heart, weeds must be pulled out or they will suck up all the water and nutrients that are meant to make the word of God grow. What is crowding your heart today so that you cannot hear or receive fully the word of God? What are your weeds? And ask God what weeds must go. Let's look at the fourth heart very quickly. The fourth heart is the listening heart. The listening heart. And verse 15 says, The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word 
retain it and by, perse- and by persevering produce a crop. Four, four R's for the listening heart. First of all, it's receptive. It's honest, good heart, open. It will receive the word of God. It allows the word of God to be implanted. It's like hungry, just give it to me. It responds, it holds it fast. It's eager, it's hungry, it's willing. Letter C, it reproduces, it bears fruit. And this emphasizes the abundance of fruit. And I discovered the best way to keep weeds out of a lawn is to grow a rich, thick, and healthy lawn because there's no room for weeds. So if you have a reproducing fruit and all this fruit going and all, there's no room for weeds. There's no place for it to grow. And finally, the listening heart is relentless. It bears fruit with perseverance. It goes after it. There's a sense in which we can't cause this to happen, but we can persevere and seek after God. That's the response. Now, we're still enabled to do that by the Holy Spirit. But that's something that God calls us to persevere. Now, God's word never returns empty. Some is sown in vain, much of it falls on good soil. And take a notice that even Jesus, who is the God, had mixed results with his sowing. Because everybody has a free will. And their hearts are all different. We can pray that God will prepare the hearts of those around us, that they would be good soil. Now I know someone's going to ask, what happened to the runner in that little league game trying to steal second base? Well, my throw was high. But as can only happen in little league baseball, the second baseman caught it up in the air, and he fell right on top of the base runner, and he was out. A classic little league out. So what are you listening to today? How's your hearing? How's your heart? The hard heart, the shallow heart, the crowded heart, and the listening heart. God has something to say to each and every one of us. Are you listening? Say what? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us practical lessons. And I pray that you would help us to diagnose and understand what our hearts are like. And that we would open up our hearts to be listening hearts. That you would help us get rid of the weeds and, and, and purge that out of us. Father, that you would make us open. And Father, that, that as we bear fruit, that there won't be any room for weeds. And God, that you would transform our lives and hearts. Father, those that may be hard-hearted, that you would soften them. Lord, those that have shallow hearts, that God, that they would get, get balanced. God, those that, that have a lot of weeds, that they'd be understanding of what those weeds are. And Father, that you would draw us to yourself. That you would be truly our living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?
now may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the power and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. God bless you.
morning Saw a world full of trouble now I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever gonna turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of People living in poverty Children sold into slavery The thought disgusted me So I shook my fist at heaven I said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. Yeah. I created you. <laughs> Now listen.
When I can't see you, I know you're there When I can't feel you, I will not fear I will trust in you, and I will not be afraid When the battle is close at